Today's guest has been described as being able to identify emotional DNA. What on earth does that mean? We'll find out in just a minute. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. I am very pleased to welcome Dr. Dan Hill, who is the founder and director of Sensory Logic and also author, among many books, of Famous Faces Decoded, which is what we will focus on today. Dr. Hill, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Now, uh, again, you've written several books, but the one we're talking about today is Famous Faces Decoded. Why do we care about decoding famous faces? Or faces just in general, uh, well, why do we care? Sure. Well, first of all, I think if you've never been lied to in life, congratulations. <laughs> you're either really lucky or you're not paying attention. Actions do speak louder than words. And in your face, with your muscle movement, you reveal how you feel. Uh, Paul Ekman is the expert on facial coding, but his inspiration was Charles Darwin, who realized that in your face, you best reflect and communicate your emotions and that emotions matter to you because they help you survive and thrive in this world. Is it, if someone, as someone reads all of the material that you've written, but certainly, you know, really focuses in on the nuts and bolts of how to read someone's face, isn't that kind of cheating? I mean, you know more about your colleague than he or she wants you to know. You know more about your personal relationships than they may want you to know. Isn't that kind of a cheat? Uh, I suppose so. It's true that no one plays poker with me. <laughs> uh, but uh, when, I was, when I was single and dating, it was really interesting because some women uh, really were like, oh, my God, you're going to know everything I'm thinking and feeling. And I said, well, not what you're thinking necessarily, but how you're feeling, yes. And uh, if they were nervous about it, I always thought, huh, what are you hiding? <laughs> On the other hand, when my wife found out what I was a specialist in, she said, oh, thank God, an emotionally literate man. This is what I've been waiting my whole life for. So I guess there are two sides to every story and to every profession. There certainly are. Let's talk about anger. Um, certainly a lot of people today are angry about any number of things. I would suggest that just as a nation, uh, maybe even as a planet, we are angrier than ever. What's your thought about that? We are. Uh, one of the strangest assignments I ever got was from an uh, auto magazine that had me come to the Detroit Auto Show and look at the front car designs. And what I saw was that over the years they have gotten angrier even in the, how the grill work is handled. Uh, we do seem to be an angrier society. There are more things that uh, get stoked by social media and even the mainstream media at times. We're very aware of social inequities that are going on. We have a sense of gridlock in Washington, D.C. Uh, all of these things help to spur anger. Uh, but even so, I mean, I, in my book, Famous Faces Decoded, went back over four generations. And the anger level is increasing somewhat. But the truth of the matter is that anger is a really frequent emotion. It shows in our face in more ways than any other emotion, nine in all. And it's so fundamental to positive things like wanting to make progress in life, wanting to feel like we're in control of our own destiny. But it also arises out of resentment, for instance, for barriers that we think are unfair and blocking the kind of progress we think is deserved. 
You know, I often say to um, my clients that anger and hurt are kind of like flip sides of the same coin. So my question to you is if one is experiencing hurt versus anger, do the facial, uh, does the facial information change or is it essentially the same? Um, no, it's certainly different. With anger, uh, if I had to express it in just one word, it would be hit, as in to hit out. Uh, in the face, when you are angry, the, the muscles, like the mouth, presses together, the eyebrows lower. A lot of anger gets expressed almost as if it's a, the face is like a, a snake coiling to strike. There's a lot of tension to it. Sadness has you know, really kind of a drooping aspect, the corner of the mouth goes down kind of like a rodeo clown, the way they're painted with the corners of the mouth, you know, down in an exaggerated fashion. Okay. You also get that wince in the cheek. So it's a lot, a lot different energy to it. You identify four forms of anger, and you say that the, they, they're, well, why don't you tell us what the four forms are that you've identified? Yeah, so I, I see it as one is concentration, which is a pretty gentle way of taking into account anger. Uh, for instance, Tom Hanks, so I don't think anyone feels particularly threatened by, given the, the roles he plays on TV. Um, you know, that, that is a pretty uh, gentle version of anger. Uh, I would also say the golden blend, where you have both anger and happiness, is a fairly benign version of anger. So in the case of concentration, it might just be that the lips press together a bit. In the case of what I'm calling the golden blend, you might have that same sort of movement or the eyebrows knitting together in concentration uh, combined with a bit of a smile. So I think those are really not ones that we tend to be on guard for. It means we've got someone who's attentive and open to consideration, and we can really have a conversation with them. The two that are threatening, the first one is what I call thunderstorm. And when someone is really angry, one of two things tend to happen, both around the mouth. The first is that the lips press together, not firmly, but really hard, and you get a telltale bulge below the middle of the lower lip. That is a you know, definitely watch out sort of expression. But even worse than that is when the mouth opens and forms a bit of a horizontal funnel. It's almost like a dog where you've taken its bone away from it and it's growling. Gotcha. It's not very often seen, but when it does, <laughs> oh, my God. The other version I call battle ready. The eyes narrow, almost like snake eyes, um, and uh, the eyebrows have come down really fiercely. And that's someone who's really uh, probably very resistant to you. For instance, uh, the rapper Eminem, yes. uh, who has some very aggressive lyrics. He is, of all the people in my book, uh, the 173 celebrities, he's the one who showed this battle-ready expression the most. Interesting. Now, uh, speaking of the 100-plus the hundred and, and hundred people that you uh, interviewed, for each uh, aspect of the varying emotions that you discover, you, you describe, you give us examples of who might fit into that one. So... For thunderstorm example, there's an interesting mixture of people you have identified. You've got uh, Joe Frazier, 
Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Rush Limbaugh, I'm not going to read all of them, and Barack Obama, all under thunderstorm. And I got to tell you, some of those folks just sound like they would have absolutely nothing in common. Well, I mean, a couple of ones would seem really obvious, and they are really high on the list, and then I'll, I'll get to your curiosity on the others. So Jimmy Page, of course, from Led Zeppelin, played very heavy metal rock, and Joe Frazier, smoking Joe Frazier, hit as hard as anyone, as Muhammad Ali would know, from uh, getting tagged in the, in the boxing ring. So I think it fits in a lot of ways for just the, the strength of power that they brought to something. Uh, when you mentioned Clinton and Trump, uh, well, politics is often called a blood sport, yeah. and it does lead to uh, a lot of strong reactions. Trump is not notable necessarily for the frequency of his anger because he also shows a lot of sadness and disgust in his face. Mm. But what he is remarkable for, for good or for evil, is uh, the intensity of his emotional response. So that's why he's in the thunderstorm category. I think the, the strange one really to me is Barack Obama. And I say that because really his most natural expression in many ways, signature expression is joy. He has just the most wonderful smile where he gets that twinkle in the eye. Really where this thunderstorm expression came in, I believe, is the gridlock he experienced in Washington, D.C. Uh. and his desire to get things done. Uh, as one of his aides once said, you know, Barack Obama is a chess player in a town that wants to play checkers. <laughs> uh, they were playing at a much more fundamental level than he wanted to play the game at. Interesting. Dr. Hill, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, i got to ask you just one more question about uh, the folks in the thunderstorm category before we move on. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You are listening to Mind Talk, and I am having a conversation with Dr. Dan Hill, who uh, is the author of several books, but today's focus is Famous Faces Decoded. We'll be right back. Dan, returning to our conversation about those in the thunderstorm category, you've got Rush Limbaugh, and Barack Obama. Again, those seem like such different personalities. How were they both represented in the thunderstorm anger category? Well, Rush Limbaugh, I mean, I, I'm not a uh, big fan of Rush Limbaugh, I'm going to have to admit, uh, but I have listened to his shows occasionally. And yeah, what he's famous slash notorious for is really hitting out, uh, attacking people, going on the offensive. So uh, that kind of sense of outrage is something that works really well uh, in a lot of the media. They, they stoke you by making you uh, resent something or somebody. And so I think that's a real fit. I think with Obama, it's really a matter that he didn't like how the game of politics gets played. Mm. He wanted it to be played at a higher level. And so I really wouldn't say that it's an expression that he would go to naturally. I would really consider it more an expression he was almost forced into by the circumstances of dealing with uh, bitter partisan politics. Interesting. The concept of contempt. Describe to us your c 
co- that your definition of contempt and who you think really falls into that category of the people that you interviewed? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I should probably slightly correct you. It is that I analyzed their their facial expressions from photographs, typically, and occasionally some video. Okay. Uh, obviously, I didn't have a chance to interview Jimmy Stewart, for instance, or Ingrid Bergman, or some of the older yeah, celebrities that, that, in my. That would have been kind of hard. Yeah. yeah. Actually, if yeah, you had in, if you said difficult. you had if you said you had interviewed Jimmy Stewart and Ingrid Bergman. We p- might be having a different conversation in a different location, maybe. That's true. That's <laughs> so, certainly true. Um, so contempt is a fascinating emotion. Um, it is considered by some people to kind of be a cross between uh, anger and happiness. And the reason that could make sense is that strangely with contempt, which really means you don't trust someone, you don't respect them, you find them beneath you, I think where the happiness or pleasure comes in is that in some sense people are sadly often kind of hierarchical in nature. We like to think of others or classes of people or races of people as beneath us. Uh, it's very regrettable, but sadly it seems to be a bit of a, uh, you know, a tendency that human beings have at times. Mm-hmm. So we can take some pleasure in the notion that we're above somebody else. I think where the anger comes in is that obviously if you find someone's not trustworthy, for instance, then there is a degree of outrage. You know, you lied to me. You weren't, you weren't on the level. You weren't straight up. And so contempt shows most reliably at the corner of the mouth. The corner of the mouth pulls up and out, almost like you're distancing yourself from the person. But it's strangely not unlike a smile at the same time. The cartoon character Snidely Whiplash <laughs> is almost like the embodiment of contempt. And contempt is very interesting to relationships of all kinds, as some of the listeners may know. Uh, in Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, which talks a lot about facial coding, he mentions the Love Lab at the University of Washington, Seattle, where John Gottman and crew use facial coding in marriage counseling. And with, I believe, it's 15 minutes of videotape facially coded, they had more than a 90% accuracy rate if the couple will stay married. And contempt is the most reliable indicator it will fail because obviously if you don't trust and respect the other party, you kind of dismiss everything that comes out of their mouth and it's really hard to have a constructive conversation. So if you are in a love relationship and certainly in a business relationship with someone who is evidencing a sense of contempt, Maybe you want to run in the other direction or at least be very, very mindful of what you're dealing with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a toxic emotion, and I think it's the most difficult one to recover from. Disgust is a kind of an allied or similar aversive emotion, but disgust tends to be more immediate and reactive. For instance, your, your nose wrinkles because something smells bad, your upper lip flares because mm. something tastes bad to you. It's very visceral. Contempt is attitudinal, and it's almost, it's almost like a cognitive emotion in a strange way, and it's really hard to recover from. And so, yes, once you recognize that's how the other party is viewing you or the situation, you might be able to tackle it straight on by saying, you know, why is it that you feel, you know, you're, uh, you know, above this, this moment? Uh, you might try it indirectly, but, yes, the other strategy would be simply to recognize that this may be, uh, a good situation you want to you want to give up on and, and back away from because it's just not going to work. You talk about four forms of contempt, and 
one of them is the scorched earth form. Is that one more concerning or should it be more concerning than perhaps uh, vindication or dismissiveness? Yeah, because with scorched earth, it's just really hard to come back from. Okay. Um, you know, at, at this point, the, the lower eyelid is tight. So I, I mentioned that uh, with anger uh, or with contempt, rather, it's kind of a mixture of anger and happiness at times. Now, when you add in an extra element where that lower eyelid is, is taut and uh, the eyes have narrowed, now you're really tilting it toward just pure venom. Uh, so they are dismissing you in a, I guess I'm going to call it a very lethal way. Mm. So, for instance, in this category of celebrities, uh, Joseph McCarthy, who thought nothing of destroying people's careers and reputations mm -hmm. uh, during the 1950s Red Scare. So that's that kind of lethal quality to it. It's just, you know, you are a victim <laughs> subject to this emotion or this expression, I'm afraid. The uh, thought which many people have articulated over the years is that men tend to be, or at least express anger more than women. Is that a real thing or is that just uh, a social myth? No, no, that is true. I mean, I have the 173 celebrities in this book. Uh, I have also done market research for more than half the world's top 100 advertisers uh, in more than 20 countries. Uh, so, you know, I have a lot of databases to draw on, and it is true that men show more anger, and they also show more contempt. In fact, they show in this book, Famous Faces Decoded, uh, their volume of contempt is about twice that of the female celebrities. Mm. Uh, one of them, just to give an example from contempt, because I, I failed to do that a moment ago, uh, was Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a real smirker. And you might remember from back when the judge was ruling against Microsoft in the monopoly case, uh, you know, having a monopoly in the field, uh, the judge said, basically, you're, you're just one really arrogant guy, and, you know, and I kind of want to stick it to you. And it's true that Gates smirks a lot now. He's very rich, and he's very smart, and he's doing some really wonderful work now funding the WHO and so forth. But it is true that Gates, uh, earned or not, definitely has a sense of superiority. What would you say would be one of the more inviting or Im uh, appealing facial expressions to look for? Well, I think the, m the most pleasant to be around certainly is joy, mm. uh, which is the highest level of happiness in my system. And with a tr it's often called a true smile or a Duchenne smile by Dr. Ekman. And it means not only do you have a really broad smile in the lower part of the face, the muscle around the eye relaxes, or actually, sorry, it tightens up, and you get the twinkle in the eye. So, you know, Barack Obama shows this, for instance. Uh, you know, uh, Ellen DeGeneres shows this. It's just, it's like a ray of sunshine, and it's really a wonderful emotion. But I'd also speak to sadness, because I think sadness sometimes gets a bit of a bum rap. Uh, because sadness can actually help encourage being reflective, uh, pondering something. Mm. I sometimes think of sadness almost like nature is saying, well, you just made a mistake. You kind of stepped in it. Uh, we're going to slow you down so you don't make the next mistake you know, quite so quickly. And I think there are, obviously, there's some negative sides to sadness most definitely. 
but at the same time, I think there's some real humanity and gentleness to sadness because we're really, in essence, looking to be hugged, to reconnect uh, with other people and, and our own dreams and hopes, etc. So there's real thoughtfulness in the sadness, uh, depending on how long it lasts and where folks are going with it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it slows you down. So it, it's not, uh, it doesn't energize you. Uh, it's why when I do work with pro sports teams or college teams, uh, I don't say sadness is probably your benefit because you want to hustle up and down the field or the court. But I think in a relationship, that slowing down means you're really likely to hear the other party in a conversation. You're not just kind of speeding past their comments. Your, your metabolism almost has slowed and, and made allowances for things, and, and you're looking for a chance to belong or connect with people. So, yes, it's a very flexible emotion and has an upside and a downside, essentially like every emotion. I was about to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, talk to us about your experience with the NFL. Why did they want you as part of their team? Well, because they're very concerned about the character of the players. I mean, these are famous people in the community. They're going to get a lot of media coverage. They want them to be good ambassadors in the sport. And the NFL has a, almost a predicament built into it because you go on the field and you have a helmet and you hit other people. And as I said, anger is an emotion. It is about hitting and hitting out and trying to get through barriers. So you want your players to certainly not be afraid of expressing anger that should be a pretty strong emotion for them but you don't want the emotion to go on to you know they're hitting their their uh you know domestic partner mm. uh they're they're uh you know getting into a brawl on the sidelines with the coach uh, with teammates in practice so when i was brought in for the nfl in the combine and that comment you made in the introduction about a player's dna you're really looking for what i call the signature expression or the emotional tendencies that they have. And so one of the things that they put me through was giving me videotape and photographs from fairly obscure players who either did really well or much better than people expected in the NFL or flamed out, and they didn't tell me which was which before we went into uh, the test. And so something like Thunderstorm that we mentioned earlier with a just too extreme version of anger uh, was really a problematic emotion as it proved because when I could identify that in players, uh, that was something that indeed proved to get them in trouble. And so the teams ended up making you know, bad investments in players and the whole thing you know, crashed. You know, it almost sounds like any employer um, with, uh, let's say, some sense of a brain, would be interested in either working with you or certainly reading uh, some of your written material. Uh, you know, I just think about an employer's ability to have a better sense of the person sitting in front of them uh, as they make a decision about who to hire. I mean, what an amazing tool that would be. Oh, a absolutely. I mean, I, I've run a small business and hired, and I've certainly tried to use this tool because it's such a strange circumstance. You are spending tens of thousands of dollars, um, you know, like buying two or three cars on the spot if the person stays with you and you pay them a decent salary, and yet you've only got maybe a 15-minute interview where you're right. kind of hurried and you've edited on the backside of your day. So looking for those emotive patterns. For instance, we haven't even discussed this, are they emotionally engaged? Because if they're not, it's a problem. 
motivation and emotion have the same root word in Latin, to move, to make something happen. A person who doesn't emote doesn't especially care. They're like a shiny new car with no gas in the tank. So you certainly want to look for that. If it's a job where it's important for them to be self-motivating and dare to handle and, and drive projects forward, well, someone who shows a lot of fear in the face, like the mouth pulls wide and egads expression, probably isn't your best candidate. And then once you hire them, how do you manage them and work with them? Because, of course, there are always, just like in a, a marriage or any relationship, there's going to be good moments and more troubling, difficult moments to work through. So when you're giving them feedback, you know, how are they responding? Uh, you know, are you seeing anger? Is it sadness or disappointed maybe in themselves? Um, there's lots of possible responses. So facial coding gives you that in-the-moment opportunity to pivot and make your adjustments. And, yeah, I think it's just essential to getting the best out of your workforce. Can one read your book, take a look at themselves in the mirror, and then create facial expressions to suit whatever environment they're about to walk into? Can they change their core character after having, at least facially, after having read your book? I can't. I believe they can to some extent. For instance, emotions are really contagious. So if you, you know, kind of, you know, mock or make out an expression and look in the mirror, you will actually kind of feel the emotions that go with that expression. So human beings are, do have a plasticity to them, just like the brain can adjust to new experiences and kind of rewires itself. So, you know, I'm not trying to Frankenstein anybody into somebody they're not, but I think if the impulse and the interest and the growth opportunity is there and someone seizes it, they may recognize, for instance, that they react to situations with fear or with anger or whatever it may be. And maybe there's an opportunity, if they don't quite like that, to say, how can I temper that or somewhat grow out of that or adjust from that? I mean, there's always advantage in being more emotionally literate and more aware of yourself mm. uh, because human-to-human -human contact, that's what business is about. Absolutely. That's what life is about. Yeah. And we have, we have more reactions to other human beings than we have to anything else. It's not a product. It's a person we react to most of all. Dr. Hill, more and more what we are experiencing today is the impact of the reactions that people are having with respect to the COVID-19. And whether it's your face covered up with a mask so that only your eyes are showing or you have no mask at all. Th there's information, there's energy that's being transmitted. What are you noticing uh, as being different about facial expressions today, if any? Well, I've spent a good deal of time watching uh, news programs and particularly the, the interviews with the doctors and nurses, but also, frankly, sanitation workers and grocery store workers uh, people in nursing home staffs. I mean, they are so heroic. But as I watch their facial expressions, more than a few times, I've actually been brought to tears by seeing how they are struggling through, first of all, fear, because they know they might bring this home to their families. And when you see that fear expression, fear and surprise, which are very similar emotions, because when you're surprised by something, you know you now have to adjust and deal with this surprise in your life. And Obviously, even though now we're getting more used to it, uh, just the whole dimensions 
of, of the COVID-19 crisis are pretty overwhelming. And so the eyes go wide. When I look at the nurses and the doctors and other people, uh, the eyebrows can shoot up because surprise and fear are many ways as if you're trying to take in more information. Mm. So the eyebrows go up, the eyes go wide. You can literally see more than you did before. You are on alert to danger. So I definitely see that. I do not see much anger. They are just working their way through the situation. It's remarkable the patients they have in a situation where they really would not feel like they're in control. And so often we default to anger because we want to be in control of our circumstances. And yet these people manage to be in a chaotic situation and not go to that. Uh, if they go to something else, it is just often sadness. And the most reliable way you show sadness on the face is one of two ways. The inner eyebrows pinch together and upward, or you get a crease in the cheek. And with a crease in the cheek, you can think of Charlie Chaplin when he played the, the tramp in all of his silent movies. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're in pain and you're recognizing the pain of others because that's another real value to sadness. Not only does it make you ponder, uh, it's a very empathetic emotion at its best. Dr. Hill, unfortunately, time has gotten away from us and we're going to have to close our conversation today. But I so very much appreciate your taking the time to talk with us and, and explain some of your research. How do people get more information about what you're doing and what you've written? Sure. I do have a website, of course, and after the three obligatory Ws, uh, <laughs> sensorylogic.com, uh, sensory as in your five senses. I also do a Faces of the Week blog where I often take a photograph out of the news headlines and write about it, and you can find that at the uh, connection of emotions, plural, emotionswizard.com. Sounds good. Dr. Hill, again, thank you so much for your time and for the work you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Pamela. All righty. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you as an educational public service and is not intended to alter any plans you may have to work with the mental health or other professional of your choice. Mind Talk is available to you on demand by going to m y n d t a l k dot o r g. I would love to hear from you. My email address is Pamela at mindtalk dot org. And I want you to remember always if it's unacceptable, then that's what it is. Unacceptable. You take care. Mm -hmm.